0: Chapter Twenty Six of The Wanderer, or Female Difficulties. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Wanderer, or Female Difficulties by Fanny Burney. Chapter Twenty Six. The shock given to Ellis by this scene of apparent detection and disgrace. Prevented not Mr. Tedman from exulting at a mark of preference which he considered as a letting down to what he called the quality he ordered his footman to see Miss safe to her lodging and regretted that he could not take her to it in his own coach, which I would certainly my dear do he said, but for the particularity of my daughter, who will never consent to the most minimus thing in the world, but what she thinks will be agreeable to the quality. Ellis passed the rest of the day in the most severe inquietude, ruminating upon the ill effects that would probably result from an attack which she had been so little able to parry. Vainly she expected Miss Arbe, from whom alone she had any hope of support, and the apprehension of being forsaken even by her professed patroness made the thought of appearing before Lady Kendover grow seriously formidable but all fears were trifling compared to the consternation with which they terminated, when, the next day, while fancying that every sound would prove the chaise of Miss Arb, hour after hour passed, without any carriage, any message, and finally the night closed in by the reception of a note from the steward of Lady Kendover, to demand the account of Miss Ellis, as Lady Barbara Franklin did not purpose to take any more lessons. The abruptness of this dismissal, and the indelicacy of sending it through a domestic, were not more offensive to the feelings of Ellis, than the consequences to be expected from such a measure of hostility, were menacing to her present plan of existence. She was still deliberating in what manner to address some sort of self-justification to Lady Kendover, when a similar note arrived from the butler of Lady Aramede. The indignant sensations which these testimonies of utter contempt excited in Ellis, were embittered by every kind of perplexity. She had not courage to present herself to any other of her scholars, while uncertain whether she might not meet with treatment equally scornful, and in this state of depression and panic she rejoiced to receive a visit, the following morning, even from Miss Beidle, as some mark of female countenance and protection. Yet the opening to this interview seemed not very propitious. Miss Beidle, instead of ascending the stairs, as usual, seated herself with Miss Matson and sent for Ellis, who obeyed the call with extreme ill-will, conscious how little fit for a milliner's shop was either what she might be called upon to say, or what she might be constrained to hear. Miss Beidle failed not to take this opportunity of making sundry inquiries into the manner in which Ellis passed her time, whom she saw, whither she went, what sort of table she kept, and what allowance she made for the trouble which she gave to the servants. "'Well, my dear,' she cried, "'this is but a bad affair, this business of the day before yesterday. I have been to Mrs. Maple, and I have worked out the truth at last though nobody would believe the pains it cost me before I could sift it to the bottom. However the most extraordinary part is, that when all came to all she did not tell me who you were, for she persists she don't know so much as know it herself." The surprise of the milliners, and the disturbance of Ellis, were alike unheeded by Miss Beidle, whose sole solicitude was to come to the point. Now the thing I principally want to know, my dear, is whether this is true, for though I would not for ever so much doubt Mrs. Maple's word, this is such a prodigious old thing, that I can't give it the least credit." Ellis, in much confusion, besought that she would have the goodness to walk upstairs no no we are very well here only be so kind as to let me know why you make such a secret of who you are everybody asks me the question go where i will and it's making me look no better than a fool to think i should be at such an expense as to hire a harp for a person i know nothing of affrighted at the effect which this display of her poverty and detection of its mystery might produce upon her hostess ellis was again entreating for a -a tete-a-tete when Mr. Riley, descending from his room to pass through the shop, exclaimed—'Ah-ha, the demoiselle! Why, I never had the pleasure to meet you down here before, ma'am!' "'Well, if this is not the gentleman who told us all those odd things about you at the concert!' cried Miss Beidle,—'I should not be sorry to speak a word or two to him myself. You are one of the passengers, I think, sir, who came over in the same boat with Mrs. Maple, and glad enough you must have been to have got back though I suppose you are only there upon business, sir?" "'Not a whit, madam, not a whit, Faith. I never make bad better. I make that a rule. I always state the worst—that is to say the truth—in my own case as well as in my neighbours.' "'Why, then, pray, sir, if it's no secret, what might be the reason of your going over to such a place?' "'Curiosity, madam, neither more nor less i was agog to know what those famous monsieurs were about and whether there were any revolution really going forward amongst them or not for i used often to think they invented tales here in england basking by their own firesides that had not an atom of truth in them i thought so faith but i paid for my scepticism I was cast into prison by Master Roberts Pierre, a demon of an attorney, that now rules the roost in France, without knowing what the devil it was for, while I was only gaping about me to see what sort of a figure Monsieur would make as a liberty boy. But I shall be content to look after my own liberty in future—I shall, Faith. So one's never too old to learn, as you may find yourself, madam, if you'll take the trouble to cross the little canal on a visit to Master Roberts Pierre." He'll teach you gratis, I give you my word, if you have a fancy, to take a few lessons. He won't mind your age of a fig any more than he did mine, though I imagine you to be some years my senior." "'I don't know what you may imagine, sir,' said Miss Beidle, "'but you can't know much of the matter, I think, if you have not seen my register.' "'Nay, madam, you may just as well be my junior, for any knowledge I have about it. Women look old so much sooner than men, that there is no judging by the exterior.' Well, sir, and if they do, I don't know any great right you have to call them to account for it." "'Bless me, sir,' cried Miss Matson, "'if you knew Miss Ellis all this time, why did you ask us all so many questions about her, as if you had never seen her before in your life?' "'Why, I never had—that's the problem that wants solving. Though I had spent a good seven or eight hours as near to her as I am to you, I never had seen her before.' "'Oh, you mean because of her disguise, I take it, sir?' said miss bydle but i heard all that at the very first from miss selina Joddrel. but miss Eleanor told us it was only put on for escaping so i thought no more about it for mrs maple assured us she was a young lady of family and fashion for else she would never she said have let her act with us and this we all believed easily enough as Mrs. Maple's own nieces were such chief performers, so that who could have expected such a turn all at once, as fell out the day before yesterday, of her proving to be such a mere nothing? Ellis would now have retired, but Miss Beidle, holding her gown, desired her to wait. "'Faith, madam, as to her being a mere nothing,' said Riley, "'I don't know that any of us are much better than nothing, when we sift ourselves to our origin. What are you yourself, ma'am, for one?' "'Ay, sir. I'm descended from a gentleman's family, I assure you. I don't know what you mean by such a question. Why, then, you are descended from somebody who is rich without either trouble or merit, for that's all that your gentleman is, as far as belongs to birth. The man amongst your grandads, who first got the money, is the only one worth praising. And he, who was he, why, some one who baked sugar or brewed beer better than his neighbors, or who slashed and hewed his fellow-creatures with greater fury than they could slash and hew him in return, or who called the daintiest herbs for the cure of gluttony, or filled his coffers with the best address in emptying those of the knaves and fools who had been set together by the ears. Such, ma'am, are the origins of your English gentleman. That, sir, is as people take things. But the most particular part of the affair here is that here is a person that we have got in the very midst of us without so much as knowing her name. For would you believe it, Miss Matson, they tell me she had no name at all till I gave her one, for I was the very first person that called her Miss Ellis, and so here I have been a godmother without going to a christening." Miss Matson expressed her surprise, with a look towards Ellis that visibly marked a diminution of respect while one of the young women who had fetched ellis a chair at the back of which she had been courteously standing now freely dropped into it herself but pray sir as we are upon the subject continued miss bydle give me leave to ask what you have thought of this miss we don't know who at the beginning faith madam, i had less to do with her than any of them the demoiselle and i did not hit it off together at all i could never get her to speak for the life of me Ask what I would, she gave me no answer. I was in a devil of an ill-humour with her sometimes. But I hope the demoiselle will excuse that, I was so plaguy qualmish For when a man with an empty stomach can't eat but he turns sick, nor fast but he feels his bowels nipped with hunger, he is in no very good temper of mind for being sociable. However, the demoiselle must know but little of human nature, if she fancies she can judge before breakfast what a man may be after dinner. They were here broken in upon by the appearance of Mr. Tedman, who, gently opening the shop-door, and carefully closing it again before he spoke or looked round, was beginning a whispering inquiry after the young music-maker, when, perceiving her, he exclaimed, "'Mercy me! Why! Where were my eyes? Why, my dear, I never hapt to light upon you in the shop before, and i often pop in to buy me a bit of ribbon for my pigtail or some odd little matter or other. However, I have called now, on purpose to have a little bit of a chat with you, about that consort of music that we was at the day before yesterday." Miss Spital, in a low voice, inquired the name of this gentleman, and hearing that he was a man of large fortune, said to Ellis, "'Why, you seem to be intimate friends together, my dear. Pray, sir, if one may ask such a thing, how long may you and this young person have known one another?' How long, ma'am, why, I'd never sat eyes upon Miss a fortnight ago, but she's music-learner to my daughter, and they tell me she's one of the best, which I think like enough to be true, for she toodles upon them wires the prettiest of anything I ever heard. And pray, sir, if you have no objection to telling it, how might she come to be recommended to you, for I never heard Miss Arb mention having the pleasure of your acquaintance. Miss Arb! I don't know that ever I heard the lady's name in my life, ma'am, though if she's one of the quality, my daughter has, I make small doubt, for she sets great store upon knowing the names of all the quality, put in case she can light upon anybody that can count them over to her. But the way I heard of this music miss was at the bookshop, where my daughter always makes me go to subscribe, that our names, she said, may come out in print, with the rest of the gentry. And there my daughter was put upon buying one of those toodling-things herself, for she heard say, as a young lady was come over from France, that learns all the quality. So that was enough for my daughter, for there's nothing the mode like coming from France. It makes anything go down. And t'would be a remarkably cheap job, they said, for the young lady was in such prodigious want of cash, as one Miss Bydel, her particular friend, told us in the shop that she'd jump at any price, put in case she could but get paid. So, upon that—' The narration was here interrupted by Sir Lyle Sycamore, who, having caught a glimpse of Ellis through the glass door, entered the shop with a smile of admiration and pleasure, though at the sight of Mr. Tedman it was changed into one of insolence and derision. With a careless swing of his hat, and of his whole person, He negligently said that he hoped she had caught no cold at the concert, or at least none beyond what the cakes, the bread and butter, or the negus of her gallant and liberal admirer had been able to cure. Mr. Tedman, much affronted, mumbled the gilt head of his cane. Ellis gravely looked another way, without deigning to make any answer, and Riley exclaimed, oh faith if you expect a reply from the demoiselle except she's in a talking humour you'll find yourself confoundedly out in your reckoning you will faith unless you light upon something that happens to hit her taste you may sail from the north pole to the south and return home by a voyage round the world before she'll have been moved to squeeze out a syllable the young baronet, disdaining the plain appearance, and rough dialect and manners of Riley, nearly as much as he despised the more civil garrulity and meanness of Tedman, was turning scoffingly upon his heel, when he overheard the latter say, in a low-voiced Ellis, "'Suppose we two go upstairs to your room to have our talk, my dear, for I don't see what we get by staying down with the quality, only to be made game of.' highly provoked, yet haughtily smiling. "'I see,' said the baronet, "'for whose interest I am to apply, if I wish for the honour of a private audience.' "'Well, if you do,' said Mr. Tedman, muttering between his teeth, "'it's only a sign Miss knows I would not misbehave myself.' Sir Lyle now, not able to keep his countenance, went to the other end of the shop. And pitched upon the prettiest and youngest of Miss Matson's workwomen to ask some advice relative to his cravats, Mr. Tedman, in doubt whether this retreat were the effect of contempt or of being worsted, whispered to Ellis, "One knows nothing of life as one may say without coming among the quality." I should have thought, put in case anybody had asked me my opinion, that that gentleman was quite behindhand as to his manners. For I'll warrant it would not be taken well from me if I was to behave so. But anything goes down from the quality by way of politeness. Sir Lyle Sycamore said Miss Bydel, who was as hard, though not as bold as himself. If it won't be impertinent, I should be glad to know how you first got acquainted with this young person, for I can't make out how it is so many people happen to know her. Not that I mean in the least to dive into anybody's private affairs, but I have a particular reason for what I ask, so I shall take it as a favour, Sir Lyle, if you'll tell me. Most willingly, ma'am, upon condition you will be so kind as to tell me, in return, whether this young lady is under your care.' Under my care, Sir Lyle, don't you know who I am, then? The supercilious smile said no. Well, that's really odd enough. Did you not see me with Mrs. Maple at that blind Harper's concert? Faith, madam, cried dryly, when a man has but one pair of eyes, you elderly ladies can't have much chance of getting a look, if a young lass is by. The demoiselle deserves a full pair to herself. Why, yes, sir, that's true enough said Mr. Tedman, simpering. The young lady deserves a pair of eyes to herself. She's well enough to look at, to be sure." "'If she has your eyes to herself, sir,' said Sir Lyle, contemptuously, "'she must be happy indeed.' "'She should have mine if she would accept them, though I had an hundred,' cried Riley. Ellis, now, was only restrained from forcing her way up the stairs, through the apprehension of exciting fresh sneers, by an offended pursuit of Mr. Tedman. "'Don't mind them, my dear,' cried Miss Beidle. "'I'll soon set them right. If you have any naughty thoughts, gentlemen, relative to this young person, you must give me leave to inform you that you are mistaken.' for though i don't know who she is nor where she comes from nor even so much as what is her name except that i gave her myself without in the least meaning it Still, you may take my word for it, she is a person of character, for Mrs. Maple herself, though she confessed how the young woman played upon her, with one contrivance after another, to ferret herself into the house, declared for positive that she was quite too particular about her acquaintances to let her stay, if she had not been a person of virtue, and besides, Sir Lyle, my young Lord Melbury. At this name Ellis started and changed colour. My young lord Melbury, Sir Lyle, as young lords will do, offered to make her his mistress, and I can give you my word for it she positively refused him. This his young lordship told Mr. Ireton, from whom I had it. That is from Mrs. Maple, which is the same thing. Is it not true, Mrs. Ellis, or Mrs. something else, I don't know what?" The most forcible emotions were now painted upon the countenance of Ellis who, unable to endure any longer such offensive discourse, disengaged herself from Miss Bydel and, no longer heeding Mr. Tedman, hurried upstairs. Sir Lyle Sycamore stared after her for a few minutes, with mingled surprise, curiosity, admiration, and pick, and then loitered out of the shop. Riley, shouting aloud, said the demoiselle always amused him, and followed. Mr. Tedman, not daring, after the insinuations of Sir Lyle, to attempt pursuing the young music-maker, produced a paper packet, consisting of almonds, and raisins, and French plums, saying, I intended to bop these nice things upon that young miss's table, unbeknown to her, for a surprise, for I did not like to come empty-handed, for I know your young housekeepers never afford themselves little dainties of this kind. So I poked together all that was left, out of all the plates, after dessert yesterday, when we happened to have a very handsome dinner, because of company. So you be sure to give her the whole, Mrs. Manson. Don't leave them about now. They are but tempting things." Miss Beidle remained last, unable to prevail upon herself to depart, while she could suggest a single interrogatory for the gratification of her curiosity. End of chapter 26 Recording by Roxana Nazari.